0: morning this morning's scripture reading is going to be from the gospel of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good morning again, everyone. Good to see you guys yet again from up here. Um, just by way of um, introductory, if you're unfamiliar with some of our staff, uh, BJ is one of our staff pastors who did the announcements and led us into prayer. And Rob is one of our elders here at the church. And if you're new, I'd like to welcome you. And uh, my name's Mike. I'm the one of the staff pastors as well. And so um, if you would like to get to know us more, we just encourage you guys. We're a very relational church. We'd love to talk with you and have a conversation with you and get to know you. So be sure to grab one of us after service if you want to chat and get to know us more. I'll tell you my life story. It's really quick. Um, but... I'd love to get to know you and, and uh, familiarize um, just what transform is about and answer any questions you have. And I encourage you guys use those connect cards, even if it's just one side of it that gives us your information so we can um, get a hold of you and talk with you and just see how we can serve you. And then if you're, if transform is your home, then we encourage you to sign the other side of the card and get plugged in to start serving and, and um, using those gifts that the Lord has given you. We want to see that activated in our church because we recognize the Lord has given us gifting and, He put us all together. So we want to serve together in this community and see the Lord glorified. If you would turn with me as we begin a new study series this morning to the letter of first John, that's where we're going to be studying. And as Rob read from the gospel of John, that really sets the stage for this first section that we'll study this morning. So the letter of first John, it's in between uh, first and second Peter and John's second and third letters. Um, before Jude and Revelation at the end of the New Testament. So towards the end of your Bible, find the letter of 1 John this morning. I'm having to contain some excitement. This is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. Um, This entire letter is one of the most inspirational letters to me in my walk with the Lord. And I am beyond thrilled to be able to share it with you guys over the beginning of this year and really take a close look at what John has to say Uh, For our, not only the church in his time, but for our church as well. Let's go back for context and understand the setting of when this was written all the way back to the year 66 AD. This would be about 33 years since the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so as you go back in time, be thinking about the situations. Rome is still the superpower. The Greek world has influenced much of the region And in the year 66, the Jewish zealots started the Jewish war and actually pushed Rome temporarily out of Jerusalem. They thought they'd won this great victory. The zealots actually did something that was quite incredible. They pushed Rome out, but it was very temporary. And if you push Rome around that we know from history very well, Rome pushes back very hard. And so in this time period, the Romans would return by 70 A.D. And as many of you know from reading the scriptures and from knowing your history, they crush the Jewish rebellion and they lay waste to Jerusalem along with the temple. And they fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew 24 too, when he told the disciples, remember, as they're walking by the temple and the disciples are like, look at these buildings. Wow, they're looking at all these structures. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, not one of these stones will be left upon another. They'll all be thrown over. What's crazy is even in Israel today, if you visit Israel, you can see all of those original stones still thrown aside and laying on the outside of the now rebuilt temple area. Those stones were all thrown aside. They were all dumped over. And just as Jesus said in 70 AD, Rome laid waste and the nation, the Jewish nation was scattered to the nations around them. Somewhere somewhere in between this time period of 66 and 70 the apostle John left Jerusalem And he began planting and pastoring churches in the region of Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And so John went to this region, which Paul, we know, had interacted with in the book of Acts. John goes there and he starts pastoring. He's a spiritual leader of this region and is mentoring and encouraging believers in the area of Ephesus. And from 70 AD to 100 AD, John was the spiritual leader of these churches. And somewhere in that time period, while he was on the island of Patmos, which is just off the coast of Ephesus, he wrote the book of Revelation. But sometime around the turn of the century, right around around 100 AD, John wrote this letter that we're going to read this morning. So it's right at the turn of the century. Interestingly enough, Irenaeus, who is a second century bishop, confirmed that the body of John's writings were composed in the city of Ephesus, or in that region. So it's fascinating to kind of think about where he is now, not in Israel, outside, in a Gentile region, ministering to dominatingly Gentile population churches. And so what's the purpose of this letter? Let's narrow our gaze a little bit more. That's kind of the broad view of the time period. Let's narrow our gaze a little bit more and look at the purpose of 1 John. Why did he write this letter? This is where I got the title solidify from because as you read through the letter of 1 John this is really what he's seeking to do he's seeking to solidify the stance and belief and the position of the church it really isn't a letter in its essence in fact many scholars would agree that the that 1 John is like a sermon It really reads like a sermon. It feels like a sermon. It's extremely personal. And William Barclay went as far as to say it's a loving and anxious sermon written by a pastor who loved his people. You can see the heart of John coming through the pages, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I love it so much. It's like a pastor is, is, is writing it to us. It's like it's ministry being written directly to us. The situation of the church in John's day, right here at the turn of the century, is complex, much like ours. The situation of the church today is still complex. But in his time, the church now consisted of second and third generation believers. Now think about that. Jesus had come and gone, and now they're in their second or third generation of believers. And we understand this because we do lots of cultural study in our time. What happens around the second or third generation? People get bored. People start easing off of doctrine. They start getting a little bit more shaky in what they believe. And as it gets passed down from generation to generation, you start seeing that generational decay come. And some of the wonder and the excitement of Christianity that had once been has now worn off. And the church is starting to rattle a bit. We see it happen in our culture today. People become bored with things that are considered outdated or old news. Think about it. The news anymore isn't necessarily what's going on. It's something that will grab our attention. It's something that will thrill us. It's something that will worry us. You realize how much fear drives the media? How much fear sells? Just like sex. These things sell when you push them on people, and so they're not concerned necessarily about truth anymore. It's about selling you a product. We know this because we get accosted by advertisements all day long, don't we? You know, even our social media starts picking up on little things that we we have shopped for, and it starts feeding those to us constantly. It's like, I don't need any more sponges. You know, it just starts pushing this stuff at us because sell, sell, sell. You guys, in our time... When we think about people becoming bored with things that are considered outdated or old news, in our time that means that some churches respond by going big on entertainment to draw crowds. They'll go big on entertainment. It's got to thrill you. It's got to woo you. It's got to wow you. Maybe they'll become more culturally relevant by adopting social platforms as priority or even making politics more important than the gospel. These things get pushed on us all the time. And in a lot of ways, it's understandable because the church is trying to be relevant. Let me just say this as an aside. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been, is now, and will always be relevant. Amen? The word of God is for yesterday, today, and forever because the word of God is synonymous with his character. And just as God has always been powerful, just as he is powerful now and will always be all powerful, so too will his word and his truth. We can stand upon the same things. And so don't get caught up in this mentality that we have to run off looking for something new. Paul warned Timothy about that. He says they're going to heap up for themselves teachers who, because they have itching ears and they want to be taught things that, that appeal to them. He goes, don't fall to that. Stick to the truth. Stick to the gospel of Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In John's day... What was drawing people from the church away was the excitement of contemporary thought and philosophy. If you know much about Greek culture, that makes a lot of sense. Philosophy and and thought and and knowledge and all of these things. That's why Paul preached that sermon at the Oropagus when he got up there and and taught on Mars Hill in Greece. He gets up there and he teaches this sermon. And and you know what was interesting is at the end of that sermon as he talks about resurrection from the dead, he teaches a very unique sermon in the book of Acts in that setting. And what's fascinating about it is when he gets done, they're like, we want to hear more from you. Why? Because it was something they hadn't heard before. It was new. Some of them believed it said, but many of them just wanted to hear something new, something exciting. A big part of Greek culture was the excitement of contemporary thought and philosophy. Some were being pulled into Gnostic culture, which thought that only the spirit was good, and that matter, the physical things, the material world, was essentially evil. These were the people who would, these false teachers would deny the Messiahship of Christ. And it appears that at this time, some within the church were getting drawn into this. They're getting pulled away into some different type of thinking that wasn't biblical. It was leaving the, the, the depth and the foundation of scriptural teaching drawn into a cult of heretical belief. And John speaks of these false teachers in chapter 2, verse 19, when he says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. He said they left because they didn't stand on a foundation. They didn't hold to what was true. The answer from John for his situation is the same as ours. Looking at the cultural rattle that's starting to affect the church, the second, third generation that aren't standing as firmly as they ought to. His answer is this. We need to solidify in our individual and corporate lives what we have been taught by Jesus. We need to solidify in our individual and corporate, our community lives, what we have been taught by Jesus. John's going to take us back to what Jesus taught. And he's going to lock us in. He's going to firm these things up. He's going to solidify our stance in Christ. In 1 John, there's no sign, fascinatingly enough, this was interesting to me, there's no sign that the churches to which this was written were suffering persecution. As you read the letters of 1 John, it doesn't seem that there's a lot of persecution. The problem wasn't that, it was more seduction. How interesting. I don't think that our issue right now, at this current time, for the American church is persecution as much as it is seduction we are getting blended into society we are becoming less polarized away when it comes to being sanctified when it comes to being a church that is sanctified that is set apart for christ we're starting to look more like the world we're starting to blend into the world in fact there's so many things about us and this is this is convicting for me there's so many things about us that look like the world that we're hard to differentiate Church, we have to stand tall in the truth of God's word and be that city on a hill and be that light to the nations because we recognize that Jesus has not compromised one bit. He has not changed his stance on what's going on in our world. He is reaching out to a lost world, providing salvation. Jesus warned that many false prophets would arise and lead many astray, and we've seen that, haven't we? Over the ages... But it's cool for us to be able to learn from what John wrote because he was seeing that in his culture, and I think we're seeing it in ours as well. You guys, we are very much so living in a different world than when even when I was young growing up. And for those of you who are older than me, you see this even more. It's such a stark contrast to the world that we grew up in. Guys, this cycle's been happening for millennia. This happens over and over and over again. And we as a church need to stand strong in the truth of God's word and get back to the basics. Solidify our walk. Solidify ourselves in the teachings of Jesus. Paul warned the church leaders in this region of Ephesus before John came to do ministry there in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 30. In his departure from the the region of Ephesus, he said this I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Paul said this was going to happen. John is there, and now he's going to write to the churches to encourage them to stand strong and to push back against what the enemy is trying to do in their midst. Just as Paul warned, it happened. And the Spirit calls John to this region spiritually to lead them back to where they belong to solidify their footing, to firm up their faith in the midst of a fallen culture. You guys, I am so excited to spend time with you in this text. I'm so excited to study this with you guys. And I hope that as we engage with this, I've read this letter many times, and I hope that you have too. I hope that we see something fresh. It's The truth hasn't changed. The doctrine hasn't changed. But I, I hope and I pray that we see something fresh that engages us, that challenges us, and calls us to a closer walk with the Lord. We need this sermon from the apostle John right now. We need to be encouraged and solidified in our walked so that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling so we can lead our families and reach this community with the gospel. So let's begin. Let's start by reading the first four verses as most of you probably have already anticipated knowing me very well. We're going to get through one. But we're going to start by reading four. So let's get the context of the introduction of John's letter and his sermon. And we will begin with verse one. But let's read the first four to start off. John writes this. What was from the beginning? What we have heard? What we have seen with our eyes? What we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life? That life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the father. And was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the Word of the Lord. John begins by going back to a very similar opening. If you know the Gospel of John, to a very similar opening to what we find there. As he says here in 1 John 1.1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we've observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He recalls the same language, not only from Genesis and Proverbs 8 and some very beginning language that we see used in the Old Testament, but again in the New Testament in John's own writings, as you think about that text that Rob read at the opening from John 1. Verses one through two, the gospel of John in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. More often than anything else, the gospel message is called the word of God. The gospel message is referred to as the word of God. Not only does that eliminate it from being something that a human being thought up. Or labored to produce. But notice how in both the Gospel of John and here in 1 John, the apostle brings the church's attention to it being preconceived since the dawn of time. It was something that was preconceived, pre-planned from the very dawn of time. What was from the beginning, as he says in 1 John 1, and in the beginning was the word in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Spontaneity. Now let's let's talk about this for a second. Let's let's talk about things that are preconceived and things that are spontaneous spontaneity has its place doesn't it think about spontaneity from it doing something that was planned ahead of time oftentimes associated with someone doing something that wasn't thought out it has its place in our lives you know l- let's put this in the context of our marriages okay of relationships spontaneity can be fun you know like well let's go and do such and such a thing that can if I want to take my wife out for dinner spontaneously, that can be a real blessing to her. She's had a long day. She's been through a lot. Let's just go have dinner somewhere and, and, you know, surprise. And then we can argue for an hour and a half about where we're going to have dinner. That can make her feel loved and valued and cared for. It has its place in, in healthy relationships, being spontaneous with each other. However, what if I came up to my wife on our 50th anniversary? And I said, I've been planning a trip that I haven't told you about. And for 50 years I've been saving and, and I have the whole thing mapped out. You won't have to pick a restaurant. All the guys are like, dude, <laughs> yeah. You guys, how precious would it be to approach our spouse and say, I've been working on this for decades and I saved for decades. Also that I could treat you to this. This this is something I've wanted to do, but I, I. it took me some time. No funds needed. No decisions need to be made. I had it all mapped out and prearranged for 50 years. How loved and cherished would she feel knowing that I've been planning this for so long and that it came at such great cost to me that I sacrificed for it for decades? Are you catching the picture? The gospel of Jesus... The plan that God had from the beginning was not only his idea. It was preconceived with full knowledge of our failure. He planned to do this in spite of the fact that what we were going to do was fail him. Sin be broken. He planned it knowing that that was going to happen as a provision for our salvation. From the beginning. From the very start. It was pre-planned from the dawn of time to save us from our sin. His sacrifice was not spontaneous. It was preconceived before we were ever conceived. He didn't spontaneously do something nice. He planned from the beginning and intentionally arranged the events and circumstances so that we might be saved from our sin. Church, never forget the gospel truth of our salvation and that it is regenerative consistently in our lives. We need to hear the gospel every day because I need to remember how much my savior loves me, how much he planned to save me. Romans five verses six through nine. For while we were still helpless at the right time, that's pre-planned. When we were still helpless, when I was completely broken and sinful and apart from him, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? While we were still sinners, while I was still broken, he planned to save me. He planned to save you. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Church, you are loved. You are precious to God. So much so that he planned from the beginning to save you. Our salvation was not free. It cost the Lord greatly. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. You were bought with a price. It was costly for the Lord to purchase us. It cost him his son. It cost him Separation. And there's great victory in the cross, but never forget that there was great cost. There was pain and there was suffering. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And as we think about this, this what was from the beginning, I think we would fail to really grasp how powerful of a message is being sent by John that God from the beginning loved us and wanted us. I've thought about this a lot lately, and and I've said it quite a bit to my family, to my kids. I said there's a big difference between being loved and being liked. We understand that God loves us, but a lot of times I think that we fall to this, and at least I do, and I don't know if this speaks to you as much as it challenges me, but a lot of times I feel like God doesn't like me. It's like, yeah, he loves me, but it's almost like because he has to, right? You understand that God likes you too, right? That he calls you to himself, that he wants you. That him loving you is not limited to him being, you know, kind of tied to this because of this part of his character. He's like, boy, if I was not a loving God, I would not even want you in my presence. That's not how he feels about us. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. I want you. I love you. I like you. I want relationship with you. Guys, try this out on your wives later. Look, and say, look at your wife and say this. You can do it right now if you want. This will be fun. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. You don't have to. I love you, but I like you too. I don't know. Like maybe that doesn't speak to you. That speaks to me. That to me says not only do I love you because I'm called to love you, but I like that you're with me. I like that we get to do life together. That's how God feels about us. I don't know. That should give us the warm fuzzies. All right. (laughs) Aw. Okay. John moves on. What was from the beginning? And he says this, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands. Now think about the apostle John writing these statements. He testifies of Jesus in four key ways. He testifies of him four key ways. First, he says this. What we have heard. Hearing is very important. Again, I'll use the marriage as as a picture of this. Hearing is very important, married people. We need to hear each other, right? John heard Jesus firsthand. He heard Jesus firsthand, right? He listened to him teach. He heard him call him. John heard him. People don't need to hear our advice. People don't need to hear my advice, Mike, what do you think? You really don't want to know what I think. You want my perspective on what God thinks. That's what you need to hear. When the Lord calls us, when the Lord speaks, that is what we most desperately need to hear. Now, it's not that we can't be encouraging to each other, but when he's talking about hearing here, about being drawn into a better understanding through hearing, we need to hear the word of God. After all, isn't that what the church gathers on a weekly basis to hear? You don't want to hear my opinions. You want to hear the word of God, I hope. Because if you're looking for my opinions, you will be sorely disappointed. You want to hear what the scriptures say. You want to hear what God has to say. My opinions, they don't really matter. Our culture, just like the culture of John's day, needs to hear the word of God. They need to submit themselves to the word of God. And the reason that people were leaving and falling after other things is because they were not listening to the word of God. They weren't listening to the word of Jesus. That's what John wants to call them back to. Remember, we heard him personally. He says, what we have heard, I listened to him. I heard him speak. We must be a people that hear first from God and then relay that message. It was well said of of one preacher that first he listened to God and then spoke to men and women. I know that sounds very basic, but I think it's being lost in a lot of ways. We need pastors and preachers, and that's what we aim to be here at this church, who hear from God and then speak to people. We have to hear from God first because if we're just speaking to people, there's no power. There's no transformative power outside of the word of God. I don't think that that calling should be exclusive to pastors either. In fact, I think that as pastor elders here in this church, that's what we seek to model. It's hearing from God and relaying that message to you. But we're doing that so that you can teach others to teach others to teach others. Because we are supposed to be doing that as a church. When I come to to men and women in this church and have conversation with them, I look forward to them imparting to me what the Lord has spoken to them. I need to hear it. We should be doing that as a church as a body in order for us to have anything to say that's worth listening to we must have heard the word and received it ourselves and relayed that message Romans 10:17 so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ So John recalls what we have heard concerning the word of life concerning Jesus he then says the second thing in this passage. Number one, what we've heard. Number two, what we have seen. Now, you'll notice that seen and observed are back to back, and there's a reason for that. What he's talking about, and when he's talking about being, having seen it, it means to physically see someone. It's, it's the sense of, like, I physically see you now. And I'll explain the next descriptive as we get to that, but this is a very much we've seen it, we observe, okay, you're here. I can testify that you were here, Right? You guys all get a a gold star. You showed up for church today. Good job. You know, you're physically here. We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. Have we? Not in our time. Not yet. We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, but applying the truth of that verse from Romans 10, I want you to think about this. Faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Faith comes through what? What's hearing. Because we don't have sight of Jesus, we walk by faith and faith comes by hearing first. It still applies. It still works. Faith comes by hearing and we walk by faith, not by sight. According to second Corinthians five, it's a powerful thing for us to remember because this is where faith comes in. It's like Jesus told Thomas, remember when Thomas doubted, it's the thing we know him for. You know, it's kind of a bum rap too. one statement from the guy and we call him doubting Thomas the rest of our lives. You know, unless I see it, I won't believe it. And we're like, oh, doubting Thomas. (laughs) You guys, Jesus showed up and what did he do? He believed. Jesus said, put your hand in my side. Put your fingers in the nail holes. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. He says, for seeing you have believed, he said, blessed are those who who have not seen and believe. Because their faith comes by hearing. How important is the word of God now? How important is it that we submit ourselves to the scriptures now if that faith becomes the eyes of our lives? If our faith becomes the seeing, how important is it that we hear the word of God taught faithfully? And as we hear, our faith grows, and that faith is our sight. John was able to testify of seeing Jesus in the flesh. I'm a little envious. But you know what? The Lord appointed for us this time, this place, this moment, and he knew what he was doing. We can testify that by hearing and receiving Jesus, we see him through the eyes of faith and someday church, and this is our hope. We will see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 at the end of the love chapter verse 12 says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. That's a powerful verse to me because I like how he says that. I like how that's written. It's so important. It's so vital. I will know fully as what, as I am fully known. I'll see him face to face. Then But right now, he sees me. I'm fully known to God. Nothing about me is hidden from him. I'm fully known to him. And when I see him face to face, I'll see him clearly. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited for that day. Faith becomes our eyes. The third thing that John points out in verse one, first heard, then seen. And now what we have observed, you can probably guess what observed means as compared to seeing. Seeing as I see you're here, observing is to lock. I'm not going to lock on anyone. Anyway. This make you feel weird. I'm observing you, Christian. The difference between seeing Christ and observing him in the Greek, the verb uh, to see is Horan. It means simply to see with physical sight. It means that I see you physically. The verb for observe or to observe is the, I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry. Theistai. I'm not too bad. (laughs) Greek scholar. And it means to gaze at someone or something until something has been grasped of the significance of that person or thing. In other words, I am observing and taking it in and thinking about it and learning about it. It's that concentrated gaze, observation, focusing. This calls us to a deliberate, careful, circumspect gaze. Take a moment and think about this. Okay. Who's writing this? John. Good job. Good job. John is. How how much did John observe Jesus? Three years. Face to face, right? What is one of the most intense moments? that you can think of. And I won't throw this out because we may throw out different things and they'd all be good. But this is, I'll just say this. This is one of the most intense moments that I thought of in his observation of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 19, it's revealed that John the Apostle was standing at the foot of the cross. He was standing at the foot of the cross. Remember when Jesus looked at his mom? And he said, behold, your son and points to John. And he says to John, behold, your mother. And it says in that passage that from that day forward, Mary lived in John's house. Now, just think about the situation that that was spoken from. That wasn't spoken of over a table at dinner. That was spoken from the Lord hanging on the cross to John. As John stood at the foot of the cross and observed the crucified Savior, I don't think any of us can imagine standing at the foot of, the, of that cross. I don't think any of us can imagine what Jesus looked like in that moment. The blood, the beatings, the flogging, the crucifixion itself, him gasping for breath. He's not having an easy conversation, he's suffocating. And John is standing there at the foot of the cross, observing that, watching him die. You want to talk about a man who says, let me bring you back to what matters most. We heard and learned from him. We observed him with our physical eyes, not only in the seeing, but I watched him die. I watched him suffer and die. And he says, this is the word of life. John is testifying of his experience. He's testifying of what he saw and experienced with his own life. John didn't just see Jesus with his physical eyes. He observed him. He interacted with him, And we see this as a part of that. The fourth thing that he points out, he touched him. He says what we have touched with our hands. Most of us would recognize John in the Gospels as being one of the more affectionate guys. He's a very affectionate man. He's known for being physically affectionate towards Jesus in John 13 and in John 21. Very close to the Lord. Many of the texts reading that he was leaning up against him or would lay his head on him. And, and it's funny because in some, some different translations, they, they, they'll, they'll, they'll change that wording. But from from my reading of that text in the original language is that John would lean on Jesus. That he was that close to him. Don't you want that kind of relationship with Christ? I just want to sit up, like lean up against him and just talk to him like a friend. You know, like, you know, those friends of yours that you're close enough to be affectionate with. That's a good thing. The world has kind of stolen away this, this, this physical affection towards one another that is wholesome and godly and good and has made it sinful, has made it wrong. Don't let Satan steal that. Hug each other, love each other. That's how they acted in the Old Testament. That's how we should be now. Good job, you guys. I love you. (laughs) <laughs> you're like, loving on each other. Guys, be affectionate towards one another. I would love it if Transform was known as a hugging church. And people are like, if you go there, you're, you're going to be offered a hug. They're not going to jump on you, but they're going to be affectionate towards you. <laughs> like, I don't want people to be afraid of it either. Wee, You know, like, and here we come. Guy me, like hugged me with all three. It's just weird. I love you. I'm an affectionate person, but I promise not to overwhelm you. You guys, John understood what it was like to be affectionate, to be close. He observed not only concentrating and understanding, but he was one who had touched Jesus. He had been close to him. I want to pull in another aspect of this. It's not just about being... Close to Jesus and having touched him. That is the experience of John. It's something that we recognize too. By the way, you recognize how important it is for us to be affectionate that way because it shows people that you care in a very wholesome and godly way. But think about this as well. There was some teaching at this time by the Docetists that Jesus never had flesh and blood, that he was a ghost, basically. Um, they taught that they were so spiritually minded that they insisted he never had a flesh and blood body because God could never fully indwell a physical body. How offensive would that be to John? How offensive would that be to John as someone who ate with the Lord, who is affectionate with the Lord, who watched him bleed and die for someone to come and say, well, he was just a spirit. He wasn't a real man. How offensive would that be? When you had watched Jesus physically die, they refused to believe that God could ever degrade himself by taking human flesh and blood upon himself. And in fact, that is what we hold to as one of the most powerful demonstrations of his love for us. That he did not count equality with God from Philippians 2 as something to be grasped, but that he humbled himself and became a man. He humbled himself, Paul writes, even to death on the cross. And that's why he is so highly exalted because he didn't consider it. Something as to be held on to, to be separated from human beings. He loved us so much that he took on human flesh and became one of us. Don't let that grow old. Don't let that be something. like, Yeah, we know, we know we've heard. No, hear it again. God became a man. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he loves me. There's no doubt whatsoever in John's mind or in my mind or in the scriptures that Jesus was fully human. And as a man who is so close to Jesus, it makes sense that he says, I heard him. I saw him. I observed him and I touched him with my own hands. This was the word of life. And in fact, in John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And notice this, John writing in the gospel, we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus laid aside none of his deity when he became a human being, he laid aside all of his dignity. He was no longer dignified because he took on human flesh, but he was completely God, he was completely holy, he was a perfect sacrifice. And he has taken us in our brokenness and in our frailty and in our sinfulness, and he has remade us. Our testimony, church, just like John's, is that he has remade us, that our experience with Jesus, what he has done on our behalf, has changed us forever and not just changed us, according to Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 16 through 17. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see the new has come. Amen. My old, sinful, broken, busted life is gone. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. I've been cleansed of my sin. John, in one verse, brings us back to the gospel again. He brings us back to the solidity of the truth of what Jesus has done by saying, We heard, we saw, we observed, we touched. And this was all planned from the beginning. What an amazing theological statement in just one verse. And the application for us, you guys, is this. If John saw the need to share this testimony with those to strengthen them in the church and also, I believe, as a testimony to the lost as to what Christ can do when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, are we testifying? Are we testifying of the same? Because we have heard him. We have seen him. We've observed and studied him in his word. And I know that we can't physically touch him. But we can believe through the eyes of faith that every word that was written about him is true. Because the scriptures are clear. Not only did Jesus come, but he died physically. And he rose again physically on the third day. And he ascended to the Father. And guess what? He's coming back. Jesus is coming again. It's our hope. And that hope should drive us to testify not only to each other for encouragement, but also to a lost world. Spurgeon said, I believe that the simple witness of converted boys and girls... Converted fathers and mothers and beloved friends, the witness that comes from the gray head that is backed up by years of godly living has a wonderful power for the spread of the gospel. From the oldest to the youngest, we need to testify of what Christ has done in us. We need to talk about it. You know, last week we we went through some Christian essentials from Colossians 4. I talked about making space, that quote from Augustine in Confessions. Is there space within me for God to come in and dwell? I think that if we answer that question, yes, Lord, my heart is prepared room. I want you to come in. Now it's time to testify about what the filling and the empowering of God is able to do. That the lost in in our lives that we know, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, that Jesus can make them a new creation as well that he can absolutely save them. I don't know about you guys, but there are lost people that I know that are in my life that I am desperate to know Jesus. They need to hear me testify. Not of what I've done, but of everything that Jesus did. Of all that he did and how much he loves them. As we close, I'll have the worship team come up. I felt really strongly to share this verse. Sometimes I don't know exactly why. The Lord puts a certain verse on my heart to share with people. um, But I feel like this really needs to be read. And I know it's pertinent, but I, I feel like this is something the Spirit really wants to speak to someone this morning. In Psalm 119, verse 25, David's writing, and he writes this. My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. Maybe some of you guys feel like your life is in the dirt right now. Like you're rolling around in the dirt and you're just struggling with purpose, with meaning, with hope, with joy. David recognizes how we rise up out of that place. And he looks to God and he says, give me life through your word. The word of God is for us. It's not only teaching us and training us, but you realize that when you have no strength, the word of God strengthens you. When you are broken, it mends you. When you are lost, it gives you path. That's why David goes on to write in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. How much did David appreciate the word of God? He talked about it all the time. Your word, thy word. You know, I start going King James on it. Thy word. God, it's yours. Speak to me. Show me. Does knowing and experiencing Jesus through his word excite and motivate you? Do we spend time in prayer giving significant time of quiet for him to minister to us there? He will speak to you. And it'll always be in accordance to his word. It'll always be in agreement. John is sharing his story, all that he's experienced and learned, and he calls us to the word of life. He calls us to Jesus. He calls us to the scriptures. Are we sharing our stories with one another? What we've heard, what we've seen, what we've observed, what we've touched concerning the word of life, Jesus. Are we sharing that with one another? Are we imparting that to each other? Let us strengthen each other in the word and let us take the word of God into this community, church. It cannot stay in this room. It has to permeate this entire room, but it cannot stay here. The word of God needs to go outside these walls. We are sitting in the midst of a community right here, our local community in this block right around here that desperately needs Jesus. There are drug, drug addicts, there are alcoholics, there are abusers. There are people who are struggling mightily right here. There are those in your, your own neighborhoods and maybe you don't live right here in the block. I know I don't, I live in post falls, but there are hurting people in my neighborhood, they're hurting people in your neighborhood. And together as we gather here, this gathering has power because we gather in the name of Jesus. And this neighborhood needs to know it. Not for our own glory. Not so that we pat ourselves on the back so that the lost may be found. So that Christ may be held and honored in this community. Lord, as we consider these things, as we prepare our hearts to go and to to work through this sermon written by John. Lord, inspired by your Holy Spirit, would you give us understanding? Would you give us a softness? Would you give us an openness? Lord, I pray that if anything that I've said was not helpful, Lord, that you would set that aside in our hearts and our minds, that we would hear exactly what what you have called us here to hear from your word. We want to hold your word high. We want to worship you, Lord. We love the scriptures because we love you, the one who wrote them. And so, Lord, as we respond to you, we recognize that you're present with us. Recognize, Lord, that we can see you through the eyes of faith. Lord, that we can know you. We can have a relationship with you. Not only through submission to scripture, but Lord, as we pray and as we interact with you. And Lord, if there are some here this morning that need to hear your voice, would you quiet our noise so we can hear you speak? Spirit speak. We believe that you're working. And we need you to minister to our hearts. As we sing songs and as we praise you, Lord, just draw us in. We draw near to you, Lord. Would you be near to us?